0: Hello and welcome to Chills, a podcast where we talk about the paranormal, true crime, conspiracies, and our own personal paranormal stories. I'm your host, Nina Cardona.
1: And I'm Preston Forrest. Today we have an urban legend and a baseball game gone wrong.
0: We will be talking about Tencent Beer Night and the terrifying urban legend of the Candy Lady of Terrell, Texas.
1: So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Chills. Going out to a baseball game can be one of the most exciting things to do during the summer. The atmosphere, the crowd, cheering on your favorite team, and of course having a hot dog with an ice cold beer. But what if your team is struggling to bring fans out to the ballpark? You'd usually see some kind of giveaway or discounted seats in an area in hopes that more fans would show up. Unfortunately, in June of 1974 the then Cleveland Indians would host a promotion for their game against the Texas Rangers that would soon become one of the most dangerous fan and player interactions in the history of baseball. This is the story of 10 Cent Beer Night. To set the scene, we need to go back to May 29, 1974. One week before the 10 Cent Beer Night promotion in Cleveland. Texas and Cleveland are playing a series in Arlington, Texas, and it's the last game of the series. Tensions started brewing in the bottom of the fourth inning when the Rangers were up to bat. The inning started off with a walk to Rangers outfielder Tom Greve, then a single to infielder Lenny Randall. The next batter wound up hitting a double play ball to Cleveland third baseman John Lowenstein. Lowenstein ran to third and stepped on the base to get a force out on Greve, then threw to second to try and complete the double play. Lenny Randall was actually able to break up the double play with a hard slide into second baseman Jack Brohammer. This was before today's game where a hard slide into second base is an automatic out. Thanks a lot, Chase Utley.
0: That's the Chase Utley rule, where Utley slid into second base too hard and broke Ruben Tejada's leg back in 2016.
1: That's right. So Cleveland is all upset that Randall slid in too hard. They thought, all right, Lenny, if you want to slide in like that, we'll go ahead and retaliate next time you're up to bat. Now it's the bottom of the eighth. Mitt Wilcox is coming to pitch for Cleveland, and here comes Lenny Randall stepping into the batter's box. Wilcox winds up and throws his pitch. It goes right behind Randall, and in baseball, when you throw behind someone, that's sort of the universal warning like, hey, I'm intentionally throwing at you because I didn't like what you did earlier. So Randall just kind of coolly leans back to avoid getting hit by the pitch, but it's pretty clear he got the message, because on the very next pitch, Randall lays down a bunt right back to the pitcher. Randall takes off for first, and Wilcox is forced to field the ball. The two look like they're on a collision course. Wilcox is trying to tag out Randall before he makes it to first. Randall sees Wilcox coming in, so he just straight up lowers his shoulder and trucks Wilcox. And this isn't like the, oh, I'm going to gently put my arm out to brace myself when we run into each other. No, Randall sort of runs off the base path and intentionally runs through this pitcher. Wilcox's legs go flying up in the air, his hat goes one way, his gloves and ball go the other, and he comes crashing to the ground. Randall could only take a couple more steps before Cleveland first baseman John Ellis runs up, grabs Randall, and starts punching him as the two fall to the ground. Immediately, both benches are clear, and there's a brawl on the field. So the teams are fighting on the field, and that lasts a couple of minutes before both teams calm down and start walking back to the dugouts. Well, the Rangers fans are super amped up, and as Cleveland is walking back to their dugout, the Rangers fans start throwing popcorn and beer at the players. The game was allowed to continue, and the Rangers wound up winning 3 0. But after the game, a Cleveland reporter was talking to Rangers manager Billy Martin. The reporter asked Martin, Are you going to take your armor to Cleveland? A little side note the two teams were scheduled to play each other only a week later. Martin responded, Nah, they don't have enough fans up there for us to worry about. For that whole week, Cleveland sports talk radio shows were making comments about the Rangers that only fueled the excitement for the next matchup. A Cleveland newspaper even printed a cartoon of the team's mascot wearing a pair of boxing gloves with a caption that said, Be ready for anything. Now, it's June 4th, 1974. The Rangers have traveled to Cleveland to start the team's next series against each other. Cleveland wanted as many fans there as possible, so they offered a ten-cent beer night promotion. Ten cents back. I'm in. Ten cents back then is the same thing as fifty-five cents today. I'm in. In total, over twenty-five thousand fans showed up to the ballpark for a Tuesday night game. It was double what the team was expecting. Each of those twenty-five thousand fans was allowed to purchase six beers at once for oh ten my cents God. each. The problem was. While there was a limit on how many beers you could buy at once, there was no limit on how many times you could get in line to purchase those six. So you had access to unlimited beer.
0: That sounds like a nightmare.
1: So the game starts, and the Rangers quickly take a 5-1 lead. As the game goes on, the Cleveland crowd just gets more and more drunk. Early in the game, Cleveland's Laron Lee hits a pitch right into Rangers pitcher Fergie Jenkins' stomach. Jenkins falls to the ground and the Cleveland fans started to cheer. They were chanting, hit him again, hit him again.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Then a woman comes out of nowhere, runs onto Cleveland's on deck circle, lifts up her shirt and flashes the crowd. Oh, my God. Then she runs over to one of the umpires and tries to kiss him. Of course, this umpire is like, what the F get off me and manages to get away from the woman. Later on in the game, Rangers outfielder Tom Greve hits a second home run of the night. As he's running the bases, a completely naked man runs onto the field and slides into second base for some reason. Ew. All I can think of is that's gotta hurt your legs, sliding in on that dirt like that.
0: He's probably drunk, he doesn't feel anything.
1: (laughs) The very next inning, a father and son run out onto the field and moon the crowd. So these fans are like drunk drunk For some reason, hundreds of fans had also bought fireworks to the game. What? They had set them off randomly in the stands. ESPN journalist Paul Jackson wrote, The game had a war zone ambiance that would seem increasingly appropriate. As the game continued on, more fans were able to run out onto the field. Rangers first baseman Mike Hargrove was hit with hot dogs and even spit on. At one point in the game, the Rangers became upset by a close call at third. Laron Lee had slid into the base with his cleats up and right into the leg of Fergie Jenkins. Lee was called safe, and the Rangers manager came out to argue the call. The drunk Cleveland crowd hated that for some reason. They immediately began throwing their fireworks into the Rangers' dugout. Soon after, a layer of smoke was in the air throughout the stadium. The game continued on, though, and in the bottom of the ninth inning, Cleveland had come back to tie the game at 5-5. It was in that bottom of the ninth, though, that one fan managed to be the spark that caused one of the most dangerous events in sports. A 19-year-old fan had hopped the fence, run onto the field, and grabbed Rangers outfielder Jeff Burrows's hat. The fan managed to get the hat off Burroughs, but tripped as he did so. With Burrows standing over him, the Rangers outfielder reared back and kicked the fan. As he kicked him, Burroughs accidentally fell over. Rangers manager Billy Martin only saw Burroughs fall over and thought his player had been attacked. He quickly turned to his team, told them all to grab their bats and go protect Burroughs. Immediately, the Rangers were all rushing out to the field with their bats in hand. The Cleveland crowd saw this and about 200 fans jumped onto the field and began fighting the 25 Rangers players, with more fans rushing in by the second. Realizing that the Rangers' lives might be in danger, Cleveland manager Ken Aspermonte told his players to grab their bats and protect the Rangers. The Cleveland players had to attack their own fans so that the Rangers could get away. Riders began throwing anything and everything they could find in the stands at the players and umpires. Cleveland pitcher Tom Hilgendorf was hit in the head by a steel chair thrown from the stands. Rangers first baseman Mike Cargrove was fist fighting fans as they ran up to him while he was trying to get back to the Rangers dugout. Eventually, both Cleveland and Texas players protected each other and were able to leave the field in groups and make it back to their clubhouses and lock the doors underneath the stadium. The fans on the field didn't stop once the players had left, though. They soon turned their attention to each other and to the umpires. Oh my God. Cups, rocks, bottles, batteries, radios, hot dogs, and chairs from the stands were all being thrown onto the field. Umpire Nestor Shilak, who was bloody after being hit in the head with a metal chair, forfeited the game in favor of the Rangers. Cleveland general manager Phil Segge blamed the umpires for losing control of the game. National sports newspaper, The Sporting News, wrote, Seggy's perspective might have been different if he had been in umpire Shilak's shoes, in the midst of knife-wielding, bottle-throwing, chair-tossing, fist-swinging drunks. So after all of this, surprisingly, this wasn't the last 10 cent beer night that Cleveland hosted. The very next month, they hosted another 10 cent beer night, but this time fans were only allowed to purchase two beers at once for the whole game. Fortunately, that game went on without any problems.
0: Every urban legend has a point of origin. So let me tell you how this urban legend came about. It all started with a woman named Clara Crane. Clara Crane was born in 1871 in Terrell, Texas. She married an older gentleman by the name of Leonard Gilbert Crane. They had a five-year-old daughter named Marcella. Marcella tragically died in an accident out in the fields. Clara blamed the death of their daughter on her husband, Leonard. Leonard was a farmer and he was taking care of Marcella out in the fields during the time of her incident. He happened to be intoxicated when Marcella tragically died. So you can see why Clara blamed her husband Leonard. There isn't much detail on how Marcella died, it just says it was a tragic death. Two years later, in 1895, Clara Crane was in a deep depression and still grieving the loss of her child so she decided to take revenge. She laced her husband's favorite candy with poison. Leonard ended up dying as a result of the poisoned caramel candies. The following day, her neighbor came to check on her and noticed she was in a hysterical state. The neighbor ended up calling the county sheriff, Fred Springer. When he arrived, Claire ended up being aggressive towards him and not cooperating, so he took her into custody. Later, the sheriff discovered what had happened to Leonard. Clara was placed on trial for first degree murder. But Clara did not go to prison. Instead, she was taken to the North Texas Lunatic Asylum, which is now known as the Terrell State Hospital. While in the asylum, Clara had a doll that she made out of torn bedsheets. She had named the doll Marcy.
1: That's already a creepy name. Marcy. Marcy. I'm sorry to anyone if your name is Marcy, but especially Marcy Crane. That's Mm. a villain right there.
0: So it was the same name as her daughter, Marcella. So patients and staff reported to have seen Clara talking and even singing to her doll. During her stay at the asylum, she also wrote to her sister. And I will read a portion of the letter now. Dearest Aggie, I am elated. I have been informed by Dr. Matthews that Marcy and I will be returning home in less than three weeks. As you can imagine, Marcy can barely contain her excitement. Every night, she asks, Is tomorrow the day we go home, Mother? Very soon, I will be able to tell her yes. She ended up being released in 1899 due to overcrowding. And this is where the urban legend begins. In 1903, children started going missing, and supposedly, this was near the Crane property. Children claimed candy was left on their windows while they were sleeping, and the creepiest part about this was that the wrappers on the candy were signed by the candy lady.
1: This is like reverse Halloween. Usually you go to someone's house for candy, but this time...
0: She's giving out candy.
1: She's leaving candy at your house. That'd be so much easier.
0: They just come to you.
1: Yeah. I like that. You just have to exist.
0: Like the adults come and drop off candy. Yeah. Sounds sketchy.
1: That's like a a candy mailman.
0: I like that. Candy mailman.
1: The candy man.
0: (laughs) Okay. A farmer claimed to have found teeth in his field. After a closer examination, it appeared to be children's teeth. Later, the town sheriff went missing, only to find his body in a ditch, with forks stabbed into his eyes and candy stuffed into his pockets. No one knows what happened to Clara Crane, but it is believed that she is the candy lady of Terrell, Texas. luring children with candy, then pulling out their teeth and stabbing their eyes with forks. So, Terrell, Texas is my hometown. I lived there for 26 years, and I had never heard of the Candy Lady before. Not saying it's not true, I just think it's crazy that I've never heard of this urban legend. But I feel like I'm kind of glad I didn't, because I know I would have been terrified of her.
1: I wonder if that Texas State Hospital still exists.
0: So, I was looking at it, the Terrell State Hospital, and... There's like reviews on Google about it. So I was like, okay, is it still open? But actually the first like review that I saw, it said like, how is this hellhole still open? Anyways, and then I found another thing on Google that says once housed patients now home to a family of raccoons, something like that.
1: So it's abandoned.
0: I don't know because there's reviews on Google about it and you can, there's like a phone number to call.
1: Unless they have crazy raccoons in Tarot.
0: Hmm. They do. I know they have possums in Terrell.
1: Terrell's a different breed.
0: It is. My dogs um, have a pet possum.
1: We should send Thor to, the, to that Texas state asylum.
0: <laughs> Why? He's crazy. No, he's not. <laughs> that concludes this week's episode of Chills. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us for updates on when a new episode is released. You can find our online store at ChillsPodcastNP.store. If you have any personal paranormal stories you would like featured in our podcast, you can email us at ChillsPodcastNP at gmail.com.
1: We'll see you Monday.